Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And we are so glad that you're along with us today. I am so happy to be back doing this with you, husband, and everybody else. If you were doing this podcast with anybody else, I might have an issue with it. I, it just... (laughs) And you would be entitled to have them. I don't even know. How I mean, to it's, respond it's to that. kind of it's kind of our thing. It is our thing. And we are so happy to invite you into our thing. This is just us sitting around a desk with a microphone, a couple Bibles, some hot coffee, yes. and a passion for Jesus. Yes, and I need to do a quick clarification. What we were just talking about there. He's not forcing me to do this. In fact, I'm eager, like excited to do this all the time. And I asked him if I could do it with him. He didn't demand this of me. So for anybody who thinks he just forced me to submit there, she's not chained. He didn't. She's no. not chained to the chair she's sitting in. I promise you. No, I had, I chose reading through the Bible for something that I needed to do for school. There was three things and I chose that one because I've never read through the Bible in a year, like on a plan. And then you had this plan and we're going to do it. And I literally asked you, could I do this with you? Isn't that funny how God works? I know, because I decided that before I knew you were planning to do this. I know. And it it has become something far more than I expected. And I I truly look forward to it. And when you were listening to Lisa Harper Mm -hmm. and letting me know a little bit just about her journey and her story, Mm -hmm. I thought it was the coolest thing. Remember how I commented, man, what a great way to just ruminate in what you're learning than to do a podcast and talk about it. Oh, absolutely. I thought I knew the Bible. Well, I mean, trust me, when I say from diapers to graduation, I was steeped in Bible, like memorization and that. It was all King James, so I didn't really understand all of it. But I didn't know that until I started doing this. Mm. My understanding is just exploding and it's made me excited to get into the Bible. Understanding it culturally and contextually has changed my entire view of how I see the Bible especially the Old Testament. And I get so excited about it, like I'm that Jesus nerd now, but I want everyone to feel this joy because the freedom in it is indescribable. I really think that we should come out with a line of coffee cups and some t-shirts that say Jesus nerd. Yes, I will. (laughs) I will make one of those and wear it proudly. If you would like a bumper sticker that says Jesus nerd, Put something down in the comments, and we might have a surprise for you. We have some tools. Uh, We do have the means to make that happen. We could make that happen, and we want to be Jesus nerds with you. Yes, go (laughs) Jesus nerds. So, Father God, thanks so much for making us Jesus nerds. Yes, we appreciate this opportunity to just open up your word, go through it, and have you speak to us and through us. Bless everybody who's listening right now. Just send a special measure of hope to somebody out there that maybe feels hopeless today. Uh, You know exactly where people are. You know how to reach them and you know how to minister to their heart in the way that lifts them up and encourages them to be the best that they are. 
So just be with whoever that is today that needs that little dose of hope. And uh, just be with us as we read. So I ask this all in your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that prayer. And I loved what you added there about just being hope to someone who needs it because I needed it yesterday. I had a rough day yesterday. You did have a rough day. Um, Some very unexpected news two days ago. Um, And it left me kind of reeling yesterday. And that was completely unexpected and came out of the blue in my world. I needed that hope. I was in the Bible yesterday. I had a lot of schoolwork that I did, but God gave me hope Mm. through it. And it's just astounding how I woke up today. Just, (sighs) I feel refreshed. God is holding that burden for me. Yeah. It's, he's got that. He doesn't want me to be dragged down because of it. So we're going to switch things up just a little bit. I'll be starting out here in Matthew today. And as always, the text that we're reading out of is going to be listed below in the comments. So this is Matthew 11, verses 1 through 19. John the Baptizer. When Jesus finished placing this charge before his 12 disciples, he went on to teach and preach in their villages. John, meanwhile, had been locked up in prison. When he got wind of what Jesus was doing, he sent his own disciples to ask, Are you the one that we've been expecting, or are we still waiting? Jesus told them, Go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. I am cheering that last. <laughs> Isn't that great? The wretched oh, that last, of the earth. Last line. Because when you're in that situation, you don't feel like anyone's on your side. But to know that the God of the universe is, on is your right side. there sitting in that wretchedness with you. Yeah. Oh. Is this what you were expecting? Then count yourselves most blessed. When John's disciples left to report, Jesus started talking to the crowd about John. What did you expect when you went out to see him in the wild? A weekend camper? Hardly. What then? A chic in silk pajamas? Not in the wilderness, not by a long shot. What then? A prophet? That's right, a prophet. Probably the best prophet you'll ever hear. Is that what Jesus said about him? That's what Jesus said. He is the prophet that Malachi announced when he wrote, I'm sending my prophet ahead of you to make the road smooth for you. Let me tell you what's going on here. No one in history surpasses John the baptizer. But in the kingdom he prepared you for, the lowliest person is ahead of him. For a long time now, people have tried to force themselves into God's kingdom. But if you read the books of the prophets of God's law closely, you'll see them culminate in John, teaming up with him in preparing the way for the Messiah of the kingdom. Looked at in this way, John is the Elijah that you've been expecting to arrive and introduce the Messiah. Are you listening to me? Really listening? Don't miss what's right in front of you. Mm. How can I account for this generation? The people have been like spoiled children whining to their parents. We wanted to skip rope and you were always too tired. 
We wanted to talk, but you were always too busy. John came fasting, and they called him crazy. I came feasting, and they called me a boozer, a friend of the misfits. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. And that is the end of that reading there. But oh. Eugene Peterson has a pause in here. Eugene, I hope you are having the best <laughs> breakfast with Jesus this morning. Man, I can't wait to meet you. John was disillusioned and puzzled, wondering what was going on. I would have been puzzled too. Jesus didn't seem to be doing what everyone expected him to do. He wasn't killing Romans. He wasn't calling down fire on the wicked. He wasn't doing in those smug Pharisees. John thought that when the Messiah came, heads would roll. So why weren't they? To find out, John sent his disciples to Jesus to make an inquiry. Are you the one that we've been expecting or are we still waiting? Jesus answered, go back and tell John what's going on. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The wretched of the earth learn that God is on their side. So why hadn't John seen any of this? It was all going on around him all over the country and he didn't seem to notice. Perhaps it's the same reason why I don't see what's going on all around me. And perhaps it's the same reason why you don't see what's going on all around you. God is working in the people all around us, in our communities and in us, you and me. He's not passive, but he's not active in the way that we sometimes expect mm -hmm. him to be. For he came not as a political savior, but as a personal savior, not bringing down the wrath of God on nations, but bringing the mercy of God to individuals. He's doing the same thing today He's showing mercy to us and to everyone around us. He's carefully and comprehensively working. God has arrived in our lives and he is working, but often in ways that are different from our expectations and prayers. You don't see it? Don't feel bad. John didn't see it either. Jesus referred to him as the greatest man on earth, yet he still needed to be reminded. And if he did, how much more do we? I'm so thankful for a gentle God. Yes. Yeah. His patience with us is endless because it's founded in love. And that's why I believe his number one above all command is love God yeah. with the second like it to love everyone around you no restrictions, love. And what a powerful thing that is in what a world changing thing that would be. Yeah. And I think that's why the forces of evil are out to destroy things that are love. I hear you. So we become selfish and bitter and greedy and envious and those things are all the opposite of love. It just challenges me to just be a better, kinder, loving person. I hear you. And that's so. not a bad thing. It's a good challenge. Well, I'm glad it's not a bad <laughs> thing because, man, if I have to try and figure out a new system, I don't know what I'm going to do. So.
And now you're going to be picking up an axe. Axe 16. All right. Excited All to right. see what's going on here. Oh, I know. Let's see how it ties in with All what right. we just read. Paul came first to Derby, then Lystra. He found a disciple there by the name of Timothy, son of a devout Jewish mother and a Greek father. Friends in Lystra and Iconium all said what a fine young man he was. Paul wanted to recruit him for their mission, but first took him aside and circumcised him so he wouldn't offend the Jews who lived in those parts. They all knew that his father was Greek. He was really dedicated to this cause. If as a grown-up person, he's like, yep, let's just go do this little circumcision a minute. Mm -hmm. And I mean, okay, so my question is so that he wouldn't, offend the Jews who, who lived in those parts. What did they have, like a circumcision check before like they interacted with somebody? Like, hey, I need to see this. Did they I have mean, like checkpoints, like with toll booths or something? Like, I show mean, us what, your what, circumcision. Yeah, like, I what mean? is this? I mean, like, I don't want to know if you were circumcised or not. It was a big deal then. I guess it was. So, and the fact that he didn't have to do that circumcision was not required it was done in order to not be a stumbling block mm. to the Jews who were the weak Christians because they were so stuck in laws and rules and legalism. Sure. They're learning yet. So he was willing to go through that to bring the word to them. As they traveled from town to town, they presented the simple guidelines the Jerusalem apostles and leaders had come up with. That turned out to be most helpful. Day after day, the congregations became stronger in faith and larger in size. They went to Phrygia and then on through the region of Galatia. Their plan was to turn west into Asia province, but the Holy Spirit blocked that route. So they went to Mysia and tried to go north to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let them go there either. Proceeding on through Mysia, they went down to the seaport Troas. That night, Paul had a dream. A Macedonian stood on the far shore and called across the sea, Come over to Macedonia and help us. The dream gave Paul his map. We went to work at once, getting things ready to cross over to Macedonia. All the pieces had come together. We knew now for sure that God had called us to preach the good news to the Europeans. Putting out from the harbor at Troas, we made a straight run for Samothrace. The next day, we tied up at New City and walked from there to Philippi, the main city in that part of Macedonia and, even more importantly, a Roman colony. We lingered there several days. On the Sabbath, we left the city and went down along the river where we had heard there was to be a prayer meeting. We took our place with the women who had gathered there and talked with them. I love that. They went and found the women and hung out with them. If you want to know what's going on in a town, you find that group of women because they know. Either that or the barber shop. Absolutely. Yeah. One woman, Lydia, was from Thyatira and a dealer in expensive textiles, known to be a God-fearing woman. As she listened with intensity to what was being said, the master gave her a trusting heart, and she believed. After she was baptized, along with everyone in her household, she said in a surge of hospitality, If you're confident that I'm in this with you and believe in the master truly, come home with me and be my guest. 
We hesitated, but she wouldn't take no for an answer. I think she was probably an influential woman in that she town. Was. Just giving her she was. given her status, given the she's dealing in expensive textiles. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. She was a dealer. Yeah. I mean, she had a place of somewhat prominence. She was a business owner. She was in the trades business, meaning she had to get sources in. She had to have buyers on the other side. I think it's remarkable, but she was a God-fearing woman. Mm. People would listen to her because of her position. There's a quick pause here that says, the dimensions of God's world. God's world is always larger than our own worlds, and God's vision to Paul shows us how large. The vision shows a person calling for help, one of the most common errors of the church and its leaders as they grow is to quit helping and begin exploiting. Mm. Paul could have used the eminence and power that was beginning to acquire to solidify his position and enjoy the fruits of his labor. The vision interrupted that and said, come over and help us. Mm. Without the vision, the world becomes small and selfish. With the vision, the world becomes large and generous. Without the vision, the church reduces itself to repetitious programs and rituals. Without the vision, the church looks at people as customers who help pay the bills and put on the programs. So we need to look hard and long at the Macedonian vision. Come over to Macedonia and help us. This vision enlarges our capacity to enter into the dimensions of God's world. Do you feel the utter conviction that I feel when I heard that? How many, I'm air quoting here, really good Christians are just sitting stagnant inside a church they've been going to, whether it's five years, 25 years, 70 years, If you're stagnant in that, and it's just a ritual, and it's a custom, it's just routine, you're not doing what God called you to do. Yeah. And those are all things we have to answer for. That that was me. I'm working so hard. I don't want to be that stale and stagnant Christian. God doesn't want us to get comfortable where we are. There's too many people that need him, that harvest. He talked about nobody's harvesting if you are sitting inside that same place you've always sat with the very same people doing exactly the same thing. That's not what Jesus said to do. I spoke with a mentor yesterday uh, with our ministry, and she had been with us for a little over 20 years. But, I mean, it was Mm. amazing to hear her say when I thanked her for her service as a mentor and how she's had such an impact on students that are in prison Mm -hmm. and jail she said you know i guess i'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to share my testimony she said sometimes i don't have the words to say in front of somebody but just writing it out on paper she said i'm able to express myself in a different way and she said yes that is kind of it's amazing that i i have looking back on it now i've had this amazing opportunity over the last 20 years to share Jesus and share my testimony. Mm. And it's, 
she's doing that from her house. So yeah. it doesn't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to be a big fundraising campaign. Oh. Remember that verse? You are the equipment. Yes. Mission fields are everywhere. Yes. They are all around you and it all looks different. If anyone is at home and you can't go out into the world, but you want to be part of a mission, drop us a message. We can talk to you a little bit more about this. It's an hour a week and... We'll plug you in. <laughs> All right. So now everybody's favorite part of the segment, <laughs> we are rewinding back yes. to the Old Testament. And Heidi will be picking up here with Psalms 25. Yes. Is it everyone's favorite? Because they're all wondering if I'm going to cry again. <laughs> I like this first verse already because I'm feeling this today. My head is high, God, held high. I'm looking to you, God. No hangdog skulking for me. I've thrown in my lot with you. You won't embarrass me, will you? Or let my enemies get the best of me? Don't embarrass any of us who went out on a limb for you. It's the traitors who should be humiliated. Hmm. <laughs> It is the traitors who should be yes. humiliated. Absolutely. Ugh. Show me how you work, God. School me in your ways. Take me by the hand. Lead me down the path of truth. You are my Savior, aren't you? Mark the milestones of your mercy and love, God. Rebuild the ancient landmarks. Forget that I sowed wild oats. Mark me with your sign of love. Plan only the best for me, God. God is fair and just. He corrects the misdirected, sends them in the right direction. He gives the rejects his hand and leads them step by step. From now on, every road you travel will take you to God. Follow the covenant signs. Read the charted directions. Keep up your reputation, God. Forgive my bad life. It's been a very bad life. My question, what are God worshipers like? Your answer, arrows aimed at God's bullseye. They settle down in a promising place. Their kids inherit a prosperous farm. God friendship is for God worshipers. They are the ones he confides in. If I keep my eyes on God, I won't trip over my own feet. Mm. Look at me and help me. I'm all alone and in big trouble. My heart and mind are fighting each other. Call a truce to this civil war. Take a hard look at my life of hard labor, then lift this ton of sin. Do you see how many people have it in for me? How viciously they hate me? Keep watch over me and keep me out of trouble. Don't let me down when I run to you. Use all your skills to put me together. I wait to see your finished product. Oh, yes, I am. God, give your people a break from this run of bad luck. I really can't wait to see the finished product of myself. Oh. Uh, we are all works in progress, but it's the it's the beauty of seeing what Jesus is doing inside of you as he's working to change. We often comment to each other like, wow, our lives look completely different than they did 12 months ago. I've heard that from people about myself. There's something and different it's not about that... me. I pray it's not that I've become unapproachable or insufferable. I've had people comment on, you just are joyful. And 
I hope that I look that way and come across that way for the rest of my life. Mm. And now I'll be ending here with Exodus, and we're reading Exodus 4, 5, and 6. Ooh. Uh, we're going to see what's the, going on. Yeah, the other side of captivity. The other side. So starting out in chapter 4, Moses objected. They won't trust me. They won't listen to a word I say. They're going to say God appear to him? Hardly. So God said, what's that in your hand? Moses said, a staff. Well, throw it on the ground. He threw it and it became a snake. Moses jumped back fast. God <laughs> said to Moses, reach out and grab it by the tail. He reached out and grabbed it and he was holding his staff again. That is so that they will trust that God appeared to you, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God then said, put your hand inside your shirt. He slipped his hand under his shirt and then took it out. His hand had turned leprous like snow. Mm. He said, put your hand back under your shirt. He did it and then took it back out as healthy as before. So if they don't trust you and aren't convinced by the first sign, the second sign should do it. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't, if even after these two signs they don't trust you and listen to your message, take some water out of the Nile and pour it on dry land. The Nile water that you pour out will turn to blood when it hits the ground. Moses raised another objection to God. <laughs> of course he did. Master, please, <laughs> I don't talk well. I've never been good with words, neither before nor after you spoke to me. I stutter and stammer. Oh. God said, and who do you think made the human mouth? Mm. And who makes some mute, some deaf, some sighted, some blind? Isn't it I, God? So get going. I'll be right there with you, with your mouth. I'll be right there to teach you what to say. He said, oh, master, please send somebody else. God got angry with Moses. Don't you have a brother, Aaron the Levite? He's good with words. I know he is. He speaks very well. In fact, at this very moment, he's on his way to meet you. When he sees you, he's going to be glad. You'll speak to him and tell him what to say. I'll be right there with you as you speak and with him as he speaks, teaching you step by step. He will speak to the people for you. He'll act as your mouth, but you'll decide what comes out of it. Now take this staff in your hand. You'll use it to do the signs. Just a real quick pause on that little section right there. Moses is presented as singularly ill-equipped for the task that he is called to do. He stands before us not as a finished sculpture modeling leadership qualities for us to follow, but rather as rough-cut stone hewn from the same quarry from which our own humanity was hewn. Which raises a question, why was the work of salvation entrusted to someone like that? Or why has it been entrusted to someone like us, for that matter? But maybe that's the point. Salvation is God's work, not ours. Incompetence may be the essential qualification Lest, lest we presumptuously start taking over something that we have no way of comprehending, let alone controlling. Our sight is limited, our steps tentative. That is how we best traverse the landscape of faith, humbly rather than capably. 
Mm. I like that. I, I do. And I think that somewhere along the line in my being taught this, I miss this part. Mm. His speech impediment was so bad that literally he had to speak to someone else who then became his voice to the people. It wasn't Moses that spoke to the people. He spoke through his brother. Right. God right. always finds a way to get his job oh, done. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, there is. Yeah, you think it's a rose black? That's like... <laughs> So picking back up here at verse 18, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said, I need to return to my relatives who are in Egypt. I want to see if they're still alive. Jethro said, Go, and peace be with you. God said to Moses and Midian, Go, return to Egypt. All the men who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey for the return trip to Egypt. He had a firm grip on the staff of God. God said to Moses, when you get back to Egypt, be prepared. All of the wonders that I will do through you, you'll do before Pharaoh. But I'll make him stubborn so that he will refuse to let the people go. Then you are to tell Pharaoh God's message. Israel is my son, my firstborn. I told you, free my son so that he can serve me. But you refused to free him, so now I'm going to kill your son, your firstborn. On the journey back, as they camped for the night, God met Moses and would have killed him, but Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' member with it. She said, Oh, you're a bridegroom of blood to me. Then God let him go. She used the phrase bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. God spoke to Aaron, Go and meet Moses in the wilderness. He went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron that the message that God had sent him and speak the wonders that he had commanded him to do. So Moses and Aaron proceeded to round up all of the leaders of Israel. Aaron told them everything that God had told Moses and demonstrated the wonders before the people. And the people trusted and listened believingly that God was concerned with what was going on with the Israelites and knew all about their affliction. They bowed low and they worshipped. After Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh, they said, God, the God of Israel, says, free my people so that they can hold a festival for me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, and who is God that I should listen to him and send Israel off? I know nothing of this so-called God, and I'm certainly not going to send Israel off. They said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so that we can worship our God, lest he strike us with either disease or death. But the king of Egypt said, Why on earth, Moses and Aaron, would you suggest the people be given a holiday? Back to work. Pharaoh went on, Look, I've got all these people freeloading, and now you want to reward them with time off? Pharaoh took immediate action. He sent down orders to the slave drivers and their underlings. Don't provide straw for the people for making bricks as you have been doing. Make them get their own straw. And make them produce the same number of bricks. No reduction in their daily quotas. They're getting lazy. They're going around saying, give us time off so we can worship our God. Crack down on them. That'll cure them of their whining, their God fantasies. 
The slave drivers and their underlings went out to the people with their new instructions. Pharaoh's orders. No more straw provided. Get your own straw wherever you can find it. And not one brick less in your daily work quota. The people scattered all over Egypt, scrambling for straw. The slave drivers were merciless, saying, Complete your daily quota of bricks, the same number as you were given when you were given straw. The Israelite foremen whom the slave drivers had appointed were beaten and badgered. Why didn't you finish your quota of bricks yesterday or the day before, and now again today? The Israelite foreman came to Pharaoh and cried out for relief. Why are you treating your servants like this? Nobody gives us any straw and they tell us make bricks. Look at us, we're being beaten and it's not our fault. But Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you whine, let us go so we can worship God. Well then go, go back to work. Nobody's going to give you straw, and at the end of the day, you better bring in your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen saw that they were in a bad way, having to go back and tell their workers, not one brick short in your daily quota. As they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. The foremen said to them, May God see what you've done and judge you. You've made us stink before Pharaoh and his servants. You've put a weapon in his hands that's going to kill us. Moses went back to God and said, My master, why are you treating this people so badly? And why did you ever send me? From the moment that I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, things have only gotten worse for the people. And rescue? Does this look like rescue to you? God said to Moses, Now you'll see what I'll do to Pharaoh. With a strong hand, he'll send them out free. With a strong hand, he'll drive them out of this land. God continued speaking to Moses, reassuring him, I am God. I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as the strong God. But by my name, God, I am present. I was not known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the country in which they lived as sojourners. But now I've heard the groanings of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians continue to enslave, and I've remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am God. I will bring you out from under the cruel, hard labor of Egypt. I will rescue you from slavery. I will redeem you intervening with great acts of judgment. I'll take you as my own people, and I'll be God to you. You'll know that I am God, your God, who brings you out from under the cruel hard labor of Egypt. I'll bring you into the land that I promised to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and give it to you as your own country. I am God. But when Moses delivered this message to the Israelites, they didn't even hear him. They were that beaten down in spirit by the harsh slave conditions. Then God said to Moses, Go and speak to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so that he will release the Israelites from his land. Moses answered God, Look, the Israelites won't even listen to me. How do you expect Pharaoh to? And besides, I stutter. But God again laid out the facts to Moses and Aaron regarding the Israelites and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, 
and he again commanded them to lead the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of the tribes. The sons of Reuben, Israel's firstborn, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the families of Reuben. The sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jacon, Zohar, and Saul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the families of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi in order of their birth, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. Levi lived 137 years. The sons of Gershon by family, Libni and Shimei. The sons of Kohath were Amran, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. Kohath lived to be 133. The sons of Merari were Mali and Mushi. These are the sons of Levi in order of their birth. Amram married his aunt Jochebed, and she had Aaron and Moses. Amram lived to be 137. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepeg, and Zikri. The sons of Uziel were Mishael, Elzapan, and Sithri. Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Amminabab. Wow, there's a lot of... You're doing so good on these names. I'm kind of rolling through them. I appreciate the grace. And if we have any Bible scholars that are cringing right now, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So Aaron married Elisheba, the daughter of Aminabab, and sister of Nasham. And she had Nadab and Abihu and Eliezer and Ithamar. The sons of Korah were Aser, Elkanah, and Abyssapah. These are the families of the Korahites. Aaron's son Eliezer married one of the daughters of Putiel, and she had Phinehas. These are the heads of the Levite families, family by family. This is the Aaron and Moses whom God ordered, bring the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, clan by clan. These are the men, Moses and Aaron, who told Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to release the Israelites from Egypt. And that's how things stood when God next spoke to Moses in Egypt. God addressed Moses, saying, I am God. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I say to you. And Moses answered, Look at me, I stutter. Why would Pharaoh listen to me? He is arguing to the end. And I have a really quick thing to say about that prior story about Zipporah and God met him and was going to kill him. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, Zipporah was Moses' wife. Moses was Jewish. Circumcision was not optional. Moses did not circumcise his son. That was his son. Ah, That's why God would have killed him. Moses could not be sent to Egypt to lead the people out when he defied God himself and refused to mark his son as a Jewish Mm. person. Thank you for looking that yeah, up. Yeah, and uh, I just needed to check for sure Zipporah and Nelson. I'm like, oh, that's got to be his wife because it didn't make sense why God would meet him and then kill him. And then all of a sudden there's a circumcision and and that and it just all of a sudden came together and I understood. Moses was so disobedient to God. He didn't follow the basic commands or the laws. He couldn't talk. He was a stutterer. He was weak-minded, he wasn't confident, argued, not me, boo-hoo. And God's like, nope, using you. 
so we can mm -hmm. know it's all God. Yeah. So I just wanted to clarify I, why that happened. It I was love that. because of his unfaithfulness to God. Thank you for that little clarification. Yes. And that's the kind of thing that we love doing on this journey through the message. We'll read something like that, and it literally inspires us to open up mm -hmm. the Bible and look and find an answer. And if we have inspired you to do that, then mission accomplished. Absolutely. And we appreciate having you along on this journey. So thanks so much for joining with us again on this journey through the message. And we look forward to seeing you next time. I'm really excited to see what happens next time. Got a lot of stuff happening right now. Oh, so. there's a lot of movers and shakers in the That's Bible. That's right. So if you're ready to move and shake, join us next time. I think we've got some plagues coming. Ooh. Ooh pestilence and plagues. Going to be a fun time. We'll see you soon. <laughs> okay.